enough, we used to call what you just did being a little bit Baptocostal, I guess is what it was. And just kind of laughing, just to remind us of what God is doing. If you're visiting with us today, I'll remind you on March 5th, we're going to have a time of worship together and um, in the evening where we're going to be singing some of the songs of our faith as we uh, get ready for um, that night. It's a good day to be together. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you. I knew when Pastor O uh, took the day off and then we're, Eric was going to be out. We're short leaders and, and Omar talked about asking Connor to lead as a dad. There was a little bit of joy in that moment. I don't want to miss everybody all the time, but um, it's a potent thing, church, as we do our best to show and share Jesus Christ like the Scots talked about and showed today and, and this. It's a good day to be together. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3 today. Um, and I, I want to bring everybody up to speed. If today's your first time with us or maybe you haven't been here in a while, we're walking through Romans. We have two weeks left uh, in this first slice of Romans. Then we'll take a break and we'll talk about some spiritual uh, habits that we can work on and we'll walk through some um, of the Gospels with that. Um, but in Romans chapter 1, what we really started to see and notice in Romans chapter 1 um, is that really the Gospel belongs to God and is with God. If there's anything else that you're to walk away from from the first part of Romans chapter 1 is that the gospel belongs to God and with God. It's, it's his promise. It's his gospel. So when we change the gospel and make it anything but his, then it's no longer truly the gospel, right? And so that's how the book of Romans starts off. But then a little bit further in Romans chapter 1, then it talks about this idea that we called that we drift. And that's Romans chapter, I'm going to call it 1B, just for everybody uh, who looks in it. There's this drift that we have in sin, where God has made himself where he, we could know him, but then in sin, we start thinking of God distantly as we knew him, and then all of a sudden, we start to avoid him, and we stop acknowledging him, until finally, sin wants to drift us so far that we think we know God, and we know what's right, but it's not even close to who God really is or what the gospel really is. And then last week what we said is, is that God is righteous, this is Romans chapter 2, that God is righteous to judge all of creation because of the rule and the reign that sin has in our life. So God is and belongs, the, the gospel belongs to him. Sin causes us to drift from it. God is righteous. He is good and true in his judgment of us. And then in Romans chapter 3, we're really going to start breaking that down. And 4, with a couple of ways that we show, but God made a way for us to know him again. And that's really what we're going to look through. The role of Jesus Christ, maybe more zoomed in, more focused in on what that role of Christ is. Because the reality is, is that God doesn't move from where he is to where we are because he misses us so much. As a righteous judge, he passes judgment and makes a way from where he is. Because we have gone out of alignment. God has not gone out of alignment. And so how does he draw us back into that? And what I love, and, and Nathan's a great example, Nathan loves to ask questions. And, and if you've ever been around him, he just always wants to know a little bit more. And, and I just think how often and how many times we have grown up with asking questions as a way of learning. 
And if we look at the Gospels, in fact, if you're a parent in the room, you have a little one at home, or maybe not, this is just a husband and wife conversation at lunch, thumb through the Bible and look at how many times that the Lord asks a question, anticipates the response, or knows what's going on in the mind of those around them, and speaks their question on their behalf, only that he can answer it again, right? I mean, you kind of think through this process that God not only knows what he has to say, he knows the thoughts of our minds, the questions of our hearts, and he provides the answer to those as well. And it's in this discovery that we really start to understand who God is and how he draws us back to him through Jesus Christ. And I think Romans chapter 3 makes me excited because it really feels like the teenage chapter of the Bible. It really is. A lot of times we either think child or adult. There's a lot of back and forth in this. I texted my family. We were laughing about it through week because there's just some things that I don't think the people in the church of Rome really um, uh, understood. So I found some pictures to kind of get you ready for it, all right? So these are pictures where I just didn't think people really understood um, the point of what's in the picture. So let's go to the first picture. If it'll go up there. I think it's a treadmill if I'm right. It is. This is a treadmill. It says running is not recommended. Now it's a PNG, so you have to cut to a black screen back there instead of the camera shot to make them seem a little bit better. Sorry, that's on me. So it says running is not recommended. Now look at this second one. All right. Let's see what it is. I feel like I'm, if I guess it's going to be wrong. All right. This is a young man that is highlighting in his book. Now y'all know the point of a highlighter is that certain things stand out, right? I mean, and I just thought, he just missed it. He just, if you highlight the whole page, it doesn't work, right? You just missed it by a little bit. Okay, here's another one. This may be Crest Scope. This is great. 24-hour protection, used twice a day. <laughs> Somebody wasn't paying attention when they made that. They just didn't quite get 24-hour protection, like what that meant. Um, the last one, this just made me funny, it's the name of a wireless cable company. So it's, it's cable's name wireless, and I just thought that's not just wireless. But, but everybody's kind of being uh, fun, this idea, we think we know how things work, and so we get a handle on them. And in, John, in Romans chapter 3, what I feel like is the church at Rome is trying to be sneaky, like to have their cake and eat it too, like, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but what about this? And, and we've been talking about this struggle between Jews and Gentiles. And, and I would tell you, Romans 3 to me feels like it's leaning towards the, the Jews who've had the answer more is maybe who they're talking to more specifically. But the church is mixed Jewish and Gentile, so it's to all people. So if you have your Bible, I just want to jump in and talk about where we're going and the anchor um, of all of this. I don't know if that'll clear for me. We'll go to this next one. Ver verse 1. Romans chapter 3. We'll read down through verse 4 together, and then, um, and then we'll catch up. It says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Church, I just want to slow down with this.
just for a second. Because what's really happened here is the, the, the question of history, of legacy, like what's the point comes into play. You know, I, I feel like there are times when our religious history can make us feel just as proud as the Jews. I've always been raised in church. My grandfather's grandfather's grandfather was this. I had all of these things. When you get into heaven, the Lord doesn't care who your mom or daddy was. That's not the point. He knows you are not going to enlighten him. But in the midst of all of this, we find this kind of moment of, wait a second, the Jews their whole life have said, listen, we have an advantage. And there's got to be something, A-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, y'all follow me with that, right? Advantage. Okay, teachers in the room, I'll see you after class, right? Like you have an advantage. And they're saying, wait, don't we have an advantage? We are Jews. We have had the law. We've had all of these things. We, we, we should like have a step in front of the line. But you have just told us in, in chapter 2, quite honestly, we don't have anything to boast in because we stand in judgment just like everyone else. And so this question comes up that says, don't we have an advantage? And Paul says, of course you do, a, a lot. You have circumcision. You've been entrusted with the oracles of God. You see, what the Lord shows us saying through Paul is this, is that you and I have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have access to the word of God. We have access to the law in the Old Testament. And that is an advantage. But it may not work like you think it does. And so almost, almost preparing for their question, Paul says, what advantage do you have? And then it's almost like everything gets smart. Verse three, well, what if some are unfaithful? Does their faith, faithful, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? See, here's an interesting thing. And, and, and it's actually something that I think is seen everywhere. Um, that he gets us commercial in the Super Bowl is a great example of that. Um, it, it, in the middle, if you didn't know, there's a, there's a group of, of believers that are just trying to get the gospel out in different ways, and they're putting these commercials up, and it's just about Jesus understands where you've been. It's not watering down who Jesus is, just understands where you've been. But the moment it gets out there, all of a sudden people said, well, I figure you could probably give $20 million and feed a lot of people, or you can do a lot of different things. This critique and criticism comes up immediately from the world. Some of it, in this case, unjustified, and other people is justified, just trying to figure out, well, why don't you? Like the arrows are flowing. Because here's the reality. The world we live in is built on your reputation and my reputation. When my children leave and go away from me, what happens in our family name, it really is greatly impacted by them. Christy and I could live saintly lives and our kids could run as far and as hard away from Jesus Christ as possible. And it doesn't matter who they were, it would be a reflection on us and it would cause something to change in the way that people see us because we are a, a personality, me-centric place. And that's why it only takes one semi-celebrity to make one comment for a news story to appear and a brand or a name to fall. Because it's me-centric, and, and that's not new. You see, throughout history, when the people of a false deity or a God were faithless and they walked away from their God, then the whole world knew their God was just made up. He was just a myth. He wasn't anything. He's not very powerful. 
He's nothing. I, I, you can go back in the Old Testament when Elijah is challenging the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal who worship a false god are up there. And, and here's, the, here's the challenge. They've said, I'll pray. And if my God consumes mine with fire, he's a real God. If your God consumes with fire, your stuff with fire, then there you have a real God. And so Elijah just said, why don't you go first? And the prophets of Baal gather up and they're crying out and, and nothing's happening. And they're cutting themselves and nothing, nothing's happening. And, and Elijah in just a most humble way says, you need to scream louder, maybe he's taking a restroom break, right? That's the David Adams version, but that's what he said. He could be relieving himself, like he's just not close. He's saying, your God, your God is, is not there. And in a moment, he prays, and the Lord consumes his, his offering, consumes then not just the altar of the Baals, but all the prophets as well. It's just tied to the faithfulness of people equals how good or strong or great their God is. And so the question is this, is if we have an advantage, the Jews would say, if we have a leg up and we're faithful, then doesn't that nullify God? Doesn't that make him less powerful? If his own people won't even follow him, who is he? If his own people won't hold the line, then who is their God? Now, this is a brilliant moment for us because we can look around this room, we can look around our world, and we can see that people who claim Christ are often faithless. We often allow something to get in the way of following God. And listen to what the Lord says through Paul, verse four, by no means let God be true even though everyone were a liar. As it is written, you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So what God says is my faithfulness, my being who I am is not diminished by your actions. Who God is, is not diminished by your actions. Now, that's not true of me and, and Christy. That's not true of, of us. We, we have a rule. I don't know if I share it often because I believe it's, it's good. We have rules of engagement when we get in an argument. Um, I tend to want to resolve something very quickly, and she tends to want things time to process. So we kind of have rules that says, hey, I'll, I'll give you a time frame, and if I go past that time frame, then I lose the argument because my, my actions have made our agreement small. And for me, it was, if I raise my voice, it doesn't matter if I'm right or not, I lose. I have made something bigger, I've made a bigger failure. So even in our life, there's an action that I can make that can void something that can nullify something because I've broken a higher rule of valuing my wife or her valuing her husband. That's not true of God. It doesn't matter how many times you let him down. It doesn't matter how many times you break the rules, how many times you're unfaithful. He will never be less faithful. He will never be less in charge. He will never be less good. He will never be less kind. He will never be less of a judge. Why? Because God is not some idea or ideal or contract that needs you to hold up your end of the bargain to make him somebody. 
And so Paul lays this idea out in front of everybody, and then I love it. All of a sudden, we get this verse 5 and verse 6 pop in. Look in your Bible, because here's where the argument begins. It's so sweet. The Bible says it like this. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, well, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous then to inflict wrath on us. I mean, I'm speaking in a human way, Paul writes. Verse 6, by no means, for then how could God judge the world? I, I love this. <laughs> I can imagine the teenager saying, wait a second. You're saying that we do have an advantage. But what I heard you say was, God is on his throne no matter what I do. And in fact, he's so much better than me. Even when I sin, it kind of makes him shine so why would he judge me for making him shine do you feel the teenager coming out here in the roman church like wait whoa, 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 whoa. why are you why are you getting on my case so hard if, if i've done wrong but it makes you look good i mean you should basically give me a high five you shouldn't judge me. Therefore, no one in the world should be judged because you're perfect and we're not. You're welcome. <laughs> Paul, very quickly, just I can see him doing a biblical face palm here. And he says, by no means. In other words, don't be silly. Just because your sinfulness reveals the difference between you and God doesn't mean that your sinfulness exalts God it doesn't mean that your sinfulness deserves reward it doesn't mean that you are good here's why because God is not some cheat celebrity wanting your likes on Facebook and Instagram at any cost good news bad news it doesn't matter as long as you're paying attention to him God is not some some weak deity church and so what Paul says here is, is no, that's, that's silly. Your sin doesn't make God shine. God is going to shine in his judgment. He's going to shine in his exaltation and his blessing. But you, just like your unfaithfulness doesn't make God any less God, your sinfulness isn't rewarded because it doesn't make God any more of a God. Church, when we look at Scripture and we look at the advantage that we have, we have to be really prepared to understand that our sinfulness is worthy of judgment because of who God is. But almost as if Paul was preparing them to, to come back again like a teenager. Look in verse 7 and 8 in your Bible. This is what it says. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, mom, then why am I still being condemned a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with, period, their condemnation is just. And how many times is this used? God, we're trying to follow you. What's the point of trying to follow you? Everybody around us is pointing the finger every time we fall. What's the advantage of trying to live a life that's right with you? A, a life where we're following in Christ's footsteps. Because when I fall, everybody there is there to kick me. So why not just embrace it? 
why not just own it? If, if God is glorified through my sin, why not just sin more? My first illustration, and I think maybe because I was picturing me as a teenager, was basically like this, saying, God, if my life produces stinky manure, as long as I throw it on your plant, why are you upset? You should be thanking me for my stench. In fact, you, you shouldn't condemn me for it. Because I know I belong to you. And I know I'm not living a perfect life. So why try? Why not just produce more manure so that your glory can be enriched? <laughs> Sound argument, right, parents? Paul says, look at the very end of verse 8. That doesn't glorify God because their condemnation would be just. You see, if you sin with this ridiculous mindset that God is glorified either way and so might as well make sure your life's given him glory in the one thing you're good at, why try to live a life being made holy by God? And the Lord says very clearly and very quickly, because then you would be proving those people right when they condemn you. You would be a hypocrite. You would be proving that you don't believe in the faith that you have. At the end of the day, what I wrote was this, God's grace doesn't exempt us from any concern regarding sin. And we have lived that way a lot. We, we find ourselves in the security of the faithfulness of God, acting as if we are exempt from the consequences concerning sin. Like everything God whoops us for down here is gonna be so short-lived, one day it's gonna be great. What Paul is saying in this first half of Romans chapter three is that, listen, God's grace, God's goodness, who he is, does not give you an exemption when it comes to sin. It doesn't say you're free to do what you want, how you want, when you want. In fact, what Paul would say is, if that's your heart, then I would tell you that you're probably not living in the grace of God that you think you are. You're like a boy with a highlighter thinking you understand what's going on while you have underline every word on every page. So then how does it work when we completely miss the point? Well, first of all, whether you were raised in church, whether you were raised a Jew, whether you've had the law your whole life or a little while, there's a truth. Verse 9 through 18. Look in your Bible and read it with me. This is what it says. It says, what then? Are our Jews any better off? Paul says, not at all. We've already charged that both Jew and Greeks are under sin. It's written, no one is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat's an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear 
for them. They say, so there's an advantage. If we have an advantage, then we must be better. And Paul says, actually, that's wrong. You have an advantage, but you're not better because you completely missed it. Because all have sinned. All have, have abandoned God. There's not a single righteous person apart from the Lord in the world. And so, in fact, there's this idea here that the, the advantage that we often look at says, well, God, I need something to be proud of, and I need something to give me some form of responsibility. If I'm, a, if I'm a believer and I have all these things of the Lord, then I need something to just hold on to, something to tie myself down to. And verse 19 says something very clearly. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Paul says, you do have an advantage. And I would say, church, we have an advantage. It is not one that brings us pride or this responsibility that God depends and needs us, but instead it's one that makes us humble and that ones that says you are accountable because you have the truth. Do you see the difference? When we think the Lord needs me to be who he is, then we start becoming proud and pride-filled in our self-righteousness. And God says, actually, your advantage is one that should cause you to be humble, not self-righteous. Your advantage, church, of having this Christian community, your advantage of having brothers and sisters in Christ to run hard after him with, is not that you get to be responsible for ushering in and making the kingdom of God come, but instead it's that you are accountable to one another, to encourage one another, to motivate one another, to, to push one another on further and further closer to the king. You see, this is your advantage. That's what it should breed in you, not some desire to be exempt from sin and proud of it. And what I love is that God doesn't just tell us, no, you got it wrong, like a bad teacher or professor. He says, let me show you what's right. Look in your Bible at verse 20. The Bible says, says this, I'll go to this next one. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So I want you to know that your works and your law, what it really does is makes your sin obvious. That's all it does. It makes sin knowable to you. You know when you're sinning. You know when you've done something wrong. There's your advantage that comes from the law. It doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't make you saved. This knowledge that you have, it doesn't pump you up. What the law was given to do was good because it makes sin obvious. You know when you're not honoring your mother and father, that is sin. You know when you lust after another woman that's not your wife, that is sin. You know that when greed drives your, your desire and your, your hope for promotion at work, that is sin. You know when you say, God, I need a minute and do some self-worship, that is sin. 
That's what the law does. It just, here's your heads up. You don't have to stumble into sin. When you do it, you know it. That's the advantage. If, if the Jews are sitting around here wondering if, if we don't have an advantage that allows us to do this or this and this, then what's the advantage? The Spirit says through Paul, this is beautiful. It, it may not let you know the way to be right, but it shows you what actions are not right. Church, you and I have that advantage still today. The law made sin easy to identify. God's word makes sin easy to identify. If you look in the gospel, Jesus says, listen, I'll tell you the truth. Adultery, they say, is this. This is what I call it. It's even further and deeper. In the middle of all of these things, church, we have a gift. But God has not left us blind in knowing what sin is. And that's an advantage. But that's not all he's done. Look at verse 21 through 25a. I'll stop halfway through 25. The Lord didn't put the numbers in your Bible. Someone else did, so it doesn't bother me to break them up every now and then. The Bible says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, that's a bunch. Here's what he says. Christ makes righteousness knowable. That's what, that's what Christ has done. He just makes it to where we can know, not just that we are in sin. That's, that's what the law did. It made sin obvious. But instead, it's Christ made Life, eternal life, righteousness, knowable. And what I love is that Paul unpacks it just cleanly and clearly. He says, first of all, the righteousness of God is witnessed only through one who has eyes who believe in faith that Jesus is the Christ. You can't know righteousness any other way except for by faith in Christ Jesus. And then there is no distinction. Everyone, the Jew, the Greek, the churchgoer, the not churchgoer, the man under the bridge, or, or the lady in her seat. It doesn't matter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, made right by grace that is God's gift. It's not because you were born into the right family. It's not because you have the right amount of money. It's not because you wear the right clothes. It's not because you have the right accent that life and righteousness is known as a gift of God and it wasn't cheap. That gift of redemption came through Christ Jesus who poured out his blood as a way to satisfy a covenant that your blood could not satisfy. So it's a gift and it's a gracious gift, but it's a costly gift. So here you are thinking flippantly about sin and the consequences won't be too bad because one day I'll have eternity and this is just a blip and I've seen the illustrations and so I'll just keep sinning and it won't bother me and yada, yada, yada. Paul says, don't you dare cheapen the gift of God 
which is the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't make it small. You can't make him small. But don't make it small in your life because then you deserve that condemnation. Christ gave his life so that you might know rightness with God. So how did he do it? Listen to what the Bible says in verse 25. We'll read the second half in verse 26. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that means holding himself back, he passed over former sins to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. It says, you and I were separated from God because of our sin. And because God was just, he showed his justness by passing over us. He's not gonna compromise himself for you or for me. And we see that in Jesus Christ, that because God is good, he didn't bring judgment on us at the moment we deserved it. He would have been good and he would have been right to do it. But to show his holding back, to show his forbearance, to show his love, to show his kindness, what he was doing was he just kept passing over. And the people who were Jews had the history of that. Year after year after year, they had a visible representation. God did not condemn us. God did not destroy us. God did not abandon us, but he did not compromise himself for us. And in Jesus Christ, because he shed his blood and God did not make a way of righteousness prior to Jesus shedding his blood, he showed that God is just, he is still just, and he will always be just. But then it says that he might also be justifier. What it means is this, is that Jesus, by his blood on the cross, made a way for you and I to be right with the Lord. He was just that my cheap life and your cheap life were not enough, but he was justifier because he gave his own perfect life by his desire, by his grace so that we could be right with God and it only happened when his blood was shed on the cross church look at verse 27 the Bible says this then what becomes of our boasting I think there's a need inside of us to want to be somebody. To want to want to be important, to want to 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 prove our worth to God. And and the way that we tend to receive that back is that God that I want to be I want to be boastful in something. I want to be proud that I have something to contribute. And the world has told us if you don't toot your own horn, no one will. The world has told us, if you have any worth, show how you can contribute. And what, what the Lord says is this. Can we boast by the law of works? He says, no. If you want to boast, 
then you must both boast in faith. And that faith is the gift of God by grace through Jesus Christ. If he never would have died, you could never have faith. If he never would have been that substitute, if he never would have let his blood spill for you, you would have nothing to boast in. And so if you're going to boast, you boast in Christ alone. You are somebody because of Jesus Christ's blood shed for you. Not because of what you have or what you will do for the kingdom. Because your good works don't make him any better and your bad works don't make him any worse. What they really do is say, do you value the blood of Jesus Christ or do you cheapen it for worldly treasure? So Paul says, if you wanna boast, boast in the faith that was given to you by grace in Jesus. Only thing I can boast in is that God was good and he made himself known. And in my sin, I ran for him. And in his forbearance as a judge, he was good and true. He has passed over my sin. But God left me standing so that I could know rightness with him through Jesus. The result is humility and accountability, not pride and responsibility. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, Romans chapter three, you're not alone. Everyone who does was there at one time and millions around the world still do not know. But if you wanna boast in one thing, it can be that you're still breathing right here so that you could hear the truth that God is just and he doesn't compromise himself just to get your attention, but God is justifier and through Jesus Christ, his blood is shed for you so that you can be made right with him. And so you have to confess and believe, God, I'm yours. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, how sweet and how good your word is. Father, I, I see the progression. I, I, I hear the words in, in my heart. I want to be special. I want to be different. I want to be somebody. And if I can't be it the right way, Lord, then why not just take advantage? One saved, always saved. Lord, thank you for loving me and the Roman church enough to correct us. So God, today, Lord, let us celebrate the work of Jesus Christ, the advantage that we have been given and the truth that has been made known. Let us honor you with our whole heart and our whole being. In the name of Jesus, our just Lord.